Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Today's message is all about having the best year ever. So prepare your heart for a word from God. Good morning. Well, I told our volunteers, it's a, listen, I don't know if you know this, you can't really see it on camera, but it's basically it's packed out in here and maybe start looking like an old school revival here in a minute, just fanning a little bit. So yeah, matter of fact, just go ahead and make some noise so everybody online can hear you. Yeah, a bunch of good-looking people in here this morning. So glad that you are here. Well, we didn't have service last week. We always take the last, serv- uh, last Sunday of the year off. And um, so this is what happens. This is what I told our volunteers. When you give a preacher two weeks off, he basically, he basically comes back and tries to preach two messages in one. So I'm going to do my best to get you out here as quick as I can. But the Father's given me something to share with you, and I'm really excited about that. So a couple questions before we get going. Who in here makes New Year's resolutions? Okay, good. How many of you in here are failures and so you don't make them anymore? Amen. Amen. Well, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. Well, I think resolutions are good. Goals are good. I think, listen, whether they be professionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, whatever they are, I think it's good to set something to, uh, to achieve, to, to go for I think what we're going to see this morning, I've got a word for you that I think that 2007, excuse me, 2018 is going to be the best year ever for our church. I think that those of you who have set goals, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're like, I'm a failure, there's probably still some things personally that you want to accomplish. And I think that the message today is going to lay the foundation for how we have the best year ever. And I just want to tell you, I couldn't be more excited about what God is doing here at City Lots. I couldn't be more excited about, honestly, the month of January. Um, Cody's going to share a little bit at the end, but next Sunday we're doing something called Vision Sunday. If this is your home church or you're here for the first time and you're like, man, I fit in with all these failures, all these jacked up people, then you do not need to miss next Sunday. Do not miss next Sunday. I'm telling you where we're going for 2018. Cody mentioned this during the welcome. Last year our theme was expansion. The Father's given us a new theme this year. We're going to be sharing that and uh, just a lot of exciting things, so don't miss that. But back to today. We believe it's going to be the best year ever, and uh, I think that the text that I'm teaching from today, I want to tell you that you don't even have to be a biblical scholar or a theologian. Most likely, you've heard it. You may not be able to you know, know the address in the, in the Bible, but I guarantee that you've heard it, and so uh, I believe that God's going to speak to us today. So here's the thing, though. Pull up this first picture. Some of you may not know this, and this is not the greatest picture because this is circus. Uh, Donnie Baker said circus 2003 or circa 2003, but I'm the, I'm the white skinny guy on the right, not the Latino on the left in this picture. This was the day that I graduated basic training from the United States Army, and uh, I'll never forget it. That was my good buddy, Eddie Sanchez. I'm still connected to him on Facebook today. We slept in those bottom two bunks there, and uh, just an incredible time in my life. But what you may not know this about the Army or the military um, is that it doesn't matter what your job is in the military. I'm going to speak specifically for the Army because that's what I know. It doesn't matter, listen, if you're a cook, if you're an Army Ranger, if you're an infantry, or you play the flute in the marching band. Everybody has to go through basic training. That's why it's called basic training. It doesn't matter what you're, they call it MOS, 
doesn't matter what your job is in the military, you have to go through basic training. And what happens during this basic training is it's a time where you begin to conform to Uncle Sam, right? You, you get out of your civilian ways, and they teach you how to become a soldier. And it starts with, there's physical things in there, a lot of it's mental, but you're beginning to take on the mindset of a soldier. It's the basic level. These are things that you have to do to begin becoming a soldier in the United States Army. There was a lot of good things I did, a lot, of a, fun, a lot of fun things, a lot of great people that I met. But when I see this picture, I'm reminded of, honestly, a lot of the foundations that I stand on today that I learned in my military career. I think the word that we're going to look at today is a lot like basic training. Listen, it doesn't matter what your New Year's goals are or what you want, what you desire. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, you're like, I don't even know really how I feel about Jesus and all this this message is still relevant for you. It may take a little bit more work, but it's still gonna be relevant for you. But what we're gonna look at today is some, a few basic things that you have to get. If you're gonna have the best year ever, if you're gonna grow in your marriage, your walk, professionally, whatever your goals may be, spiritual or sexual, or it's not sexual, that's, I mean, some of you may have. Here we go, man, starting off the year right. I wasn't speaking like subconsciously or subliminally about my goals per se, but, <laughs> but let's just go and get the cat out of the bag. I mean, if you're married, <laughs> sex is a good thing, okay? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Well, y'all have a good day. <laughs> it doesn't matter if your goals are secular <laughs> or spiritual. God has a word for us at the most basic level. And I want to set up the context what's going on. In the New Testament, Jesus often debated with religious leaders. These same religious leaders that we're going to see him in the circle with today, and there's a debate going on, would be the same ones who would want to take him to the cross and crucify him. Now, I told our volunteers this, and I want to make this not really just a confession, but just this admission for some level of accountability. I've been studying a lot about how Jesus led, the type of leadership that Jesus had. And, and I've studied it often. I guess what I'm saying is one of my goals for 2018 is I want to lead like Jesus in my home, first and foremost, and in my church. It's a privilege. It's, a, it's, a, it's my dream to pastor this church. So I want to lead like Jesus here. But what I've learned about Jesus is that sometimes the way he leads is not exactly how we feel like he should or how the religious leaders thought he should. And so there's this big debate going on that Jesus is teaching like he often did, but one of the religious leaders sitting there begins to grasp what Jesus is teaching. It begins to kind of strike his heart a little bit. And he begins to have this conversation with Jesus. And like I said, many of you, you've probably heard this before. If you've not heard it, you'll know it by the time you leave today. So it's, we're in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is in a debate, and one of the religious leaders begins to feel a prompting by what Jesus is teaching. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. I want to clarify, he's not saying that Jesus is smart when it says he answered well. What it means is that he's hearing something different, maybe for the first time compared to what he's been hearing his whole life. So he answered well, so he asked, this is really big, all right? He says, of all the commandments, now he's taking it way back to the beginning, of all the commandments, 
Jesus, if I'm gonna have the best year of my life, which is the most important? Which is the most important? So this religious leader says of all the commandments, of all, and here's what you have to understand. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. There are 365s, don't do that, and 248, okay, you can do that. He's saying out of all 613, which, singular, is the most important. And don't you feel like we're the same? Like there's this vast knowledge of, of uh, or we, it's like we desire this vast, this vast knowledge and God's so big and the Bible's so big and long. We're just like, what do you want me to do, Jesus? What am I supposed to do? How do I make it through this? How's this gonna be the best year of my life? It's interesting that this religious cheater would say, leader would say out of all 613, which one? Right? Is that not what we, like, God, what do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? How do I make it through this situation? And Jesus responds in a very profound yet simplistic way that I hope when we leave here today, your lives will be a little bit simpler and you'll be a lot more encouraged to have the best year ever. This is how Jesus responds in verse 29. He said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O city lights church. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, with everything you have. Out of 613 laws, Jesus says this is the most important. So naturally then, I think we must ask ourselves, or we often will ask ourselves these two questions. What does it mean to love God? What does that even mean? And then if I can identify what it means, how do I do that? I know one of the things that, I, that I've struggled with from time to time, and I share this with our church all the time, the closer I get to Jesus, the farther I really realize away that I am from him. The closer I get to his holiness, the more I see how much of a wreck that I am. When I experience the more of his righteousness, I begin to see the details of my sinfulness. And so Jesus says, this is the most important. And so let me remind the long-term Christians in here, you've been a Christian all your life or a long time, whatever that is. Something happens in us, those of us who are in Christ, as we get older, we become judgmental. We become critical. And that's nothing like what Jesus was. So I want to remind the Christian in here who's been a Christian 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in case you've forgotten, the most important thing you could do is love God. That's it. Not what people wear, not what translation of the Bible they read, not do they smoke menthol cigarettes, Blue anyway, right? <laughs> Not do they smoke at all. I mean, I'm just saying menthol. Or... So then, if it's still, if that's the most important thing, listen. If nothing else is, in, if if that's the most important thing, then what what does that look like and how? And so I want to share. These aren't exhaustive, but I do believe these are the four most critical ways. To do that. And so the first one is this to love God, and this is the only requirement, okay, when it comes to Jesus and God. But to love Him requires that you know Him. Loving God requires knowing Him. You must know Him. I love my wife, one, because I choose to, but also I know her. I've spent 
time with her. I don't know why we get so confused about feeling like distant from God because it's just like any other relationship. If I don't spend time with my wife, I'm not gonna feel close to her. If you're not spending time with the Father, you're not gonna feel close to him. So one, to love God requires knowing him. This is Romans 8 and 9, but basically what it says, this is where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. So I know him when I confess to him, but you need to see there's two things going on here. When I confess, there's the external part. I've got to be speaking what I say I believe. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, so there's the external, and if you believe with your heart, the internal. Now, I want to just make this to be a little bit challenging for you, or maybe just kind of step on your toes a little bit. I know many of you would say, Pastor, I'm not really good at sharing my faith, or I'm not good at talking about spiritual things. Really? Why? Why are you not? Because according to the Word of God, you'll confess what's in you. I say this all the time because I'm a little bit country and a lot bit redneck. I just dress not exactly like a redneck. <laughs> it's the thing. If you went out to a good restaurant today after church and it was just perfect, the steak was awesome and it was cheap, you'd be posting all over Facebook about it, calling your girlfriends, calling your family, and you gotta go, you got, you've got to go check this out. Why? Because you've experienced it You've tasted it, and the same is true with loving God. And I don't mean, I'm not trying to get you to, to doubt where you're at with him, but I am trying to get you to question. If you're not speaking of him, then perhaps you don't really know him. Loving God requires that you know him. You must know him. The second thing is this, so really it's kind of weird that this second, but you've got to know him first, is to love God is to put him first. Now here's, I'm going to challenge all southern mamas in here, okay? You must put him before your children. You must put him before your spouse or your mom. You must. The father is not glorified when I lift up my wife and my children above him. That's not pleasing to him. I've got to learn to put him first before my career. I'm talking to the workaholic in here this morning or watching online. You justify your addiction to work by the amount of pay that comes home. You've got to put him before all things. And this is how we know this. In Mark 12, 30, Jesus just said, hey, this is the most important this is the most important commandment is to love God with everything. And I would say above everything and above everyone. And you can't do that, though, unless you know him. And here's what I've learned. And I'm not saying that I always get this right because there are times that I don't. I put my wife first. I put my children. And believe it or not, there are times that I put you first. And I want to just confess that is not pleasing to the Lord. But I'm actively trying all the time to put God first in everything because Jesus said this is the most important. This is the most important commandment out of everything. The third thing is this. To love God is to desire him. I love what the psalmist said. This is Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Next slide, please. 
As a deer longs for streams of water, so I desire, so I long for you, God. Listen, I thirst for God, the living God. And I love this right here. Listen, when can I come or can I come? Some translations translations say, and appear before you. Let me ask you something rhetorical. Can you identify with this? Are there, how many of you in here, don't raise your hand, okay? Let's not do all that, but I'm just rhetorically speaking or, you know, a little self-diagnostic inventory. How many of you could say, I would love to, I can pray this prayer right now because I would love to stand before Jesus because I'm the perfect Christian and I have no sin in me, right? Or like, man, I'd be afraid I'd get struck by lightning if I stood in the presence of Jesus, right? But there's this idea that if we're going to love him, we have to desire him, we have to desire him. Now, let's go back to those of you who have kids or just a significant other or a loved one. Like, I genuinely am in love with my wife. I desire her. There are times where my kids get on my nerves one moment, right? You know what I'm saying? And then, then honestly, maybe an hour or two later, I'm like, man, I want to just be with my kids. You know what I mean? I just desire to be with them because I know them, because I know them. And so let me ask you this. Think about this. Do you desire to be with him? And it's like this. The same way that you desire to be with a loved one, a spouse, a child, a friend, maybe it's a place you love to go to the mountains or you love to go to the beach, that that way that you desire and you long for that. Do you have that for the Father? Do you have that for the Father? And again, these aren't exhaustive, but the fourth one, I think, is to love God is to obey him. Now, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then you're kind of like you can sit on the outside and be like, okay, good. But if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to this because this is really important. To love God is to obey him. 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is what love for God is. Say this with me, to keep, one more time, to keep. Keep his commands. What you do today as a cross follower, don't miss this. If you're in here and you would say, yes, Brother Peyton, I know the Lord is my personal Savior. I'm committed to following him. What you do today in your relationship is way more important than what you did yesterday. If you're going to keep his commands, if, he's going, if you're going to keep his commands, if you're going to say that you're following him, then keeping means remaining and maintaining. If you're living off the prayer you prayed at your mamaw's church when you were 12, that's not keeping his commands. You must obey. You must keep his commands. You must continually follow him. You must continually keep searching for him. And I've said this before, and it rubs people the wrong way, but I generally mean this. What you do today is more important than the prayer that you prayed yesterday. Because that prayer that you prayed yesterday may have gotten you to today, but it will not take you to tomorrow. You've got to keep. You've got to be obedient. You've got to love him. You've got to know him. You've got to put him first. And I think just a simple question for you just to begin thinking about it, even as I'm preaching, is if if you're having a hard time loving him, I would ask you to answer these four things. Are you doing this? Do you know him? Are you putting him first? Do you desire him? Are you being obedient? Now, here's what's really interesting. 613 commandments, this teacher of the law asked Jesus, which is the most important of all? 
And Jesus says the most important is loving God. So then what we see is that there's absolutely, listen, listen, Christian, there's absolutely nothing more important. But there is something equally important. And I want to just drive this home to remind you again one more time. The greatest thing you could do as a Christ follower is to love God. That's the most important. There is nothing more important. But Jesus is fixing to teach us that there is something equally important. This is verse 31. Jesus says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. No commandment is greater, let me hear, than these. Again, you need to understand this. Do you understand what Jesus has just put together here? You've heard it, right? Love God love people. And so this next slide, I want to just kind of put this in reference for you. Next slide, please. There's 613 commandments in the law. That's a lot, right? That's about how many rules every church has, about 613. This teacher of the law said which? He's asking for one, Jessica, one. And Jesus says that there are two that are equal, to love God and to love people. I mean this with all complete conviction and meaning. If you're going to have the best year ever, you have to learn to love God and love people. And here's what's really interesting about this. When Jesus is when he's saying this love your neighbor as yourself, he's really referencing a scripture in Leviticus chapter 19. And back in the Old Testament, that Leviticus chapter 19, that scripture when he says to love your neighbor, what it meant back then was to love to love one of your own. But how many of you know that's way too easy to do? Right? That's way too easy. What Jesus is now saying is he's, you've got to love all of humanity. Let me just throw a couple words out there for you and see if it rubs you wrong, okay? And if it does, then I know I'm hitting you right. It's the people that betrayed you. It's the spouse who left you. It's the murderer. It's straight people. It's gay people. It's white people. It's black people. All people. See, it's too easy for us. Just, it's too easy for me to love someone just like my wife because I love her. But what about the people that harm her or speak badly about her? And what I'm love, listen, is not necessarily tolerating and welcoming to my dinner table, okay? But it should extend to welcoming them to my dinner table. It's loving all people. And you know what's terrible about Christians, and I am one, so I'm speaking even on behalf of myself. We do a really good job at praising God with one hand, but pointing at people with the other, all in the name of Jesus. And it's wrong. It's wrong. I've been so convicted by this message because I've been I'm trying, trying to just reflect on how, how well have I loved people? How well have I loved you? And so then naturally, if Jesus says, love God, well, we want to know, like, how do I do that? What is that? I think the same question is applicable for this. What does it mean to love our neighbor? And how, right? I mean, how do we love our neighbor 
when they never keep their kids home, when every time we pull in, they want to come over to our house as soon as we get back home from the grocery store. Do you know what I mean? I'm making sure they're not visiting today. I can't see y'all up here with the lights on. How do we love these people that seem unlovable or that have hurt us or that have betrayed us? And, you know, I mean, listen, all of humanity is this way, but it seems that Christians, those who claim Christianity, are a little bit more spiteful. We're so good and so quick to hold a grudge against someone, aren't we? Listen, I just, I'm going to tell you, just expose myself a little bit because I'm not too naive to think that everybody loves me, but it's ama- I've experienced this in my ministry. One moment, people love me, and the very next, they curse me. It's the craziest thing. Craziest thing. They love me one moment and thank me for everything I've done for them, and then one little something happens. Well, you're just not the same anymore, Pastor. So how do you love those people that I'm talking have genuinely hurt you, and you're thinking of them right now? Someone you're holding a grudge against. It's the boss who's a jerk. That's what Jesus is saying, and more important than anything. Listen, anything. So instead of like giving you like four, five, 10, 20 ways that I think I could, I got to pray, really thinking and praying about this. And I feel like I just want to share one thought with you on how we love our neighbor. And it's like this. You love your neighbor the same way that God has loved you. Without conditions, regardless of circumstances. And here's what I wish this church, I mean, my prayer is for every church, but particularly our church. I wish that when we do something wrong or we are wronged, I wish that we would think about how we treat God first. And you might and remember and think about the grace that you receive every time you do that, and you might be a little bit more quickly to, re, to extend it. It's crazy to me how Christians, we are so desperate for God's grace. I need your grace. And we sing about it, but we won't ever extend it to the very people that need it. Yet we'll go before his throne praying for the very thing that we don't want to let go of to other people. If you're going to have the best year ever, if you're going to have the best day ever, if you're going to have the best peace, the best joy, we have to love God and we have to love people. And you know what happens when you love people? You know this. It gets really freaking messy, okay? And the church is not exempt from that. As many of you all or many as people think that church should be this clean-cut religious box, you've obviously not read the New Testament then. And you've also not looked in the mirror because you're messy too. We all are. I mean, that's why we need Jesus. That's what the birth of Christ is about, that humanity could not save ourselves, so we needed a Redeemer to come down in the form of a babe who would reconcile us back to God. And so everybody in this room, I've come to lift you up and edify you, brother. You need Jesus, okay, because you're messy, including me. I'm like the chief messiest person in here. That's what qualifies me to lead you. So you think about it. Listen, honest to God, think about it. You think about everything in your, your life right now, that, 2000, that ringing in the new year didn't take away your mental problems, your depression, your addiction, your financial problems, your anger, your bitterness. You think about everything that didn't go away at midnight. What if we all came up here and laid it in the floor? One, you'd be embarrassed, right, if everybody saw your junk. Most likely, some of you would pick your stuff back up because the person you're sitting beside is a whole lot messier than you. And then you would understand when your pastor says every week, hey, we need Jesus because we're messy. And so one of the things that I'm committed to in 2018 here, we're going to meet people where they are because we're all messy. 
And really, none of us are righteous except for the blood of Christ that covers us. And if we'll love people, and it gets messy, you know what I'm talking about. It gets messy. If we'll love them the same way that God has loved us, I guarantee your year will be better. Your day will be better. You'll go to sleep a little bit better, and you won't stress as much. So we wind this down. I want to look at just the last couple of scripture in this text right here. Verse 32. This is after Jesus has given these answers. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said. Again, not like, okay, you, you're academically smart, Jesus. Just, I'm in agreement. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. One God. Verse 33. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart all my understanding, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important, listen here, this is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Verse 34, this is Jesus now. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, listen, you are not Far from the kingdom of God. I think there's two things going on here. When Jesus speaks this, I think he means literally, and I think he means figuratively. You are not far from the kingdom of God. I think literally he's standing within inches of Jesus. So he's literally right there in front of the kingdom. And figuratively, he understands that the two greatest things we can know to have the best year, the best life, is to love God and love people. He says, and after that, listen, no one dared to ask him, Let me hear for a moment. Any more questions? Do you know what would happen? I want to give you an insight, can I? Good, I'm going to. Thanks for, (laughs) hey, thanks for validating your pastor this morning. You know, I am a words of affirmation kind of guy. Right, babe? It's my love language. If I were to stand up here every week and teach on these topics that are very, and and I do, but I try to do it in a way that's, Understandable, but if I taught very, very deep in theology and use these big, you know, compound words, I can see sometimes, even when I try to make it simple, when you're not connecting with me and it's over your head. Would you leave here being like, yes, that's good? Or would you leave here and be like, what? Did he even, what, what now? So I'm always trying to give you some insight. I'm always trying to preach a message, not literally, but figuratively, to the farthest person in the room. To maybe someone who's coming here and their heart is so stoned and callous that only the word of God can penetrate it. To someone who's coming in here for the very first time, they don't know if they believe in Jesus or not. I'm always trying to teach in a way that simplifies the gospel but presents it in a way that honors the Father, challenges, convicts, and comforts you. And I think that's what Jesus did this day. He said, hey, if you'll just love God and love people, everything else will work itself out. And it says no one dared to ask any more questions and perhaps because they were stunned or maybe because they understood. Maybe because they understood. And so I like to call this a bottom line or a sermon in a sentence. And that's this, next one. Love is what someone does, not what someone feels. You know that love is a verb, not just a noun, right? Now, I mean, listen, I I love to tell my, I want to tell my wife, and I love to tell her, hey, I love you, Ariel. 
but what if I just constantly spoke and everything I did was contrary to what she heard me say? It's an action. It's an action. And let me, it's like this. You think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or begotten son. If you believe in him, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. What if God's love was based off how he felt? And John 3, 16 was read like this. For God so loved the world because he felt like it. on his love for he so loved the world he gave he gave so love is really about what I do not how I feel and can I be honest with you there are times I don't feel lovable but the the Lord he continually seeks me and draws me and he does for me what I cannot do for myself And this is what I know to be true. Hang with me for a minute, church fam. There are many of you here this morning, what you're praying for, what you're desiring for is 2018 to be like this right here. What's for, this is a, it's a clean heart relative, right? And life is just tough, isn't it? I mean, you just, you just don't know what you don't know, but, and whoever came with that crap, like what you don't know can't hurt. Yeah, buddy, it hurts you if you don't know. So you need to learn. But 2018, we're wanting this. It's like a clean slate. I've got new goals. I've gotten so many people, and I'm not judging you if you've said this or you posted it on Facebook or, but they're like, I'm just so glad 2017's behind me. Come on, 2018. We're looking for something clean. We want the best year ever. We want it new. But here's what happened. And not just 2017, 16, 15, 1960, 1980. Well, this is kind of for reference, easy. In 2017, some of you experienced the loss of a loved one. You experienced a little bit of death, and every time we go through something so painful, it begins to tear a piece of our heart out. But we get back up, and we, and we keep moving because we want to be strong, and I've got to be strong. And then some of you, you lost a friendship with someone. And maybe it was because of that death or maybe you just kind of parted ways and it tore another piece of your heart out a little bit. And then some of you, you, you experienced divorce and you never thought you'd be where you are and it tore a chunk of your heart out. You begin to have financial problems like you never imagined it tore another piece of your heart out. I don't know who this is for, but you you got pregnant and no one was there to help support you or no one's there and it tore a piece of your heart out. And basically, this is what happens. All these things that happen in our life, they tear our heart against us and here's what happens is you walk in here on Sunday morning with your heart just like this and the difference between us and a lot of other places is we don't pretend to not be like this 
you've experienced all these things that tear your heart out, that rip it out, and you feel like, okay, I don't even, okay, pastor, I hear you. Great, I'm glad you said, how do I do this and what do I do? But I don't even still know what that means to love God. I don't even know how to put him first because I barely can even take care of myself. And this is us, many of us going into 2018, many of us right now this morning. We're sitting here with our heart torn apart. But there's good news. There's good news. One moment. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, how many of you are glad that he gives us a new heart? makes all things new. He makes all things new. And so this morning, we have an opportunity to be made new. To love God, to love people. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you need this new heart so you can just learn to love you again. just a moment our worship team is going to sing a song that I love in fact it talks about love it says I found the love greater than life itself but here's what we want you to do come on up yeah. there was a little blank white piece of paper on your seat when you walked in go ahead and grab that unless y'all thought it was trash and crinkled it up what we're doing here is symbolic okay what I'm fixing to ask you to do is symbolic but you have a blank sheet of paper because it's a new year God's grace and mercy is new every day and he gives us a new heart that's blank that's not been damaged he fills the holes he fills the void he repairs the brokenness and on that sheet here's what I'd like for you to do for those that will okay you don't have to do this but for those who are like man I'm feeling you pastor I'm in this I want to receive the fullness of what God wants on that it can be one word. It can be a sentence. It can be a paragraph. It can be something that only you and God understand. We want to challenge you to come up with a spiritual goal or resolution for 2018. And it can be this, but I'm not even talking about, and maybe it is. It's okay. Like, I'm going to read my Bible five minutes. It's great that's what yours is but I mean even more basic like hey man my resolution is I'm just gonna I'm gonna love myself maybe your resolution is I need to put God first maybe your resolution is I'm really good at loving myself and I need to start loving others Whatever it may be, we want to challenge you to respond. And so as the worship team is singing this song, and it's symbolic, but we have this little chest up here, this, for you to respond as if almost you were bringing this to the altar, if you will. 
we want you just to sit in here and listen. You can write your name on it and your contact on one side and we'll pray for you or you can just mark it down and put nothing so that only God knows. It's really whatever you feel more comfortable doing. But we want to challenge you to, to get up from your seat, to walk up and respond because love is an action. Love is an action. And this worship team, they're going to lead us in the song and they're just going to begin singing it. And as you're ready, you just come forward, you sit it here, let's respond together. Will you respond? Thanks so much for tuning in. God is doing incredible things with this ministry. To find out more about how you can get connected with us, visit us on the web at citylightsac.org.